This podcast episode from Oncology Data Advisor was recorded live at the 2023 American Society of Hematology annual meeting in San Diego. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit oncdata.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on social media for more exclusive content and interviews from the meeting. Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today we're here at the ASH annual meeting and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Newcomb. Thanks so much for coming by today. Yeah, you bet. Thank you so much for having me. To start off, would you like to introduce yourself and share what you do in your work? Sure. My name is Richard Newcomb. I am a bone marrow transplant physician at Mass General Hospital. Uh, just finished fellowship, uh, which is... Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, very, very exciting to be starting my, my, starting my practice. And I do research on the experience of patients with cancer and trying to figure out ways to how you can improve their quality of life. Um, so now you had a poster that you presented here a couple nights ago on coping in patients with hematologic malignancies undergoing hematopoietic cell transplantation. Um, so for background, would you like to tell us a little bit about um, some of the physical and psychological challenges that patients cope with when they're hospitalized for a transplant? Sure, yeah, thank you so much. I think we, we've known this for, for a bit, both clinically as well as when you actually survey patients from a systematic patient-reported outcome perspective. But transplant hospitalization, whether you're talking about autologous transplant or allogeneic transplant, is an incredibly challenging time, both physically as people experience the symptoms associated with conditioning chemotherapy, as well as the countenator and potential complications, and then also just the emotional toll and psychological burden of being in the hospital, away from usual things that might help people cope. And so it's it's just, we know that it's a very challenging time. And one of the things that makes transplantation a daunting process for patients. Definitely. Um, so what did you decide to investigate with this study? I think we know both from work that my mentors have done, Dr. Zarij Aljawari and Hermione Amunu, um, they, the, the work, the work that they've done as well as others in the field is that how people cope with illness is likely a very important thing to understand and that it's also a potentially modifiable thing. So for instance, if you take patients that have acute myeloid leukemia and you compare a group that has integrated palliative care versus those that don't, those with integrated palliative care have uh, sustained levels of approach-oriented coping while they use less avoidant coping. So what does that mean? Like coping in general, there are a variety of different strategies and we, in our work, we generally categorize them into approach-oriented coping and avoidant coping. And approach-oriented coping would be things like practicing positive reframing, seeking emotional support, you know, looking to others, um, things of that nature, whereas avoidant coping can be things like disengaging with the, with the diagnosis or blaming yourself for these things or denying that it's actually happening. Um, and so, you know, these are similar patient populations, but people haven't systematically looked at how do people cope going into the transplant hospitalization. And it might be just an important thing to look at because we think you can preserve approach-oriented coping while trying to mitigate right. avoiding coping when possible. Um, so tell us about the study. How did you go about uh, designing it? So this was a secondary analysis of initial baseline data from a multi-site randomized control trial of integrated palliative care. Actually, my mentor, Dr. Aljawari, is presenting the findings from the randomized control trial this, this afternoon. So this is looking at the baseline data. So this is data before people, or this is basically within 72 hours of being admitted to the hospital. 
And um, I think our findings were several. First is that people use a lot of different coping mechanisms and actually predominantly over 50, around 50% do things like seeking emotional support, practicing acceptance and looking to others. Um, at least they use those at, at high levels, um, which is, you know, th- that was good to see. And then about a, mi- a minority, well, I didn't say a minority, a substantial portion of patients, about a third will practice things like denial or self-blame as it relates to their illness going into, into transplant. Um, and then there are about 10% of people that practice both. You know, they use avoidant strategies and they use approach-oriented strategies. So that was interesting just to say that people don't fit necessarily into one bucket in terms of how they decide to cope with their illness. I think that was the first major striking finding at baseline. Um, Were any other results, um, you know, either surprising to you or anything that stood out as particularly striking? I think the the thing that was important then is to say, okay, are those things then correlated with people's quality of life and level of psychological distress? And so patients that highly used approach-oriented coping had better quality of life and lower symptoms of depression and anxiety heading into transplant, whereas those who highly practiced avoiding coping had lower quality of life and higher symptoms of anxiety, depression, and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, heading into transplant. And then when you took a look at people who had that diversity of coping strategies, so you put people into bins of like, I only use approach-oriented, I use both, I only use avoidant, or I'm not highly using either, um, any use of avoidant coping increased levels of distress pretty substantially. Um, so that, that was also pretty interesting, just to kind of get back to that point that people use a variety of things to cope, and it really seems any use of avoidant coping has negative impacts on quality of life. Um, and I think the last thing just to say is like, you know, it, it's good to find these things, but can you use other things that are easily identifiable to identify groups who may benefit from a particular supportive care intervention during transplant? And those who highly use avoiding coping on were less likely to be older than 65. They were more likely to identify as female, and they were also more likely to um, have a be on disability or be unable to work like as that is a recent change related to their illness and so you know most transplant centers have systematic social work screening and so you know sort of psychosocial assessments and those are things that would be easily identifiable uh, to put people into bins of maybe you might need a coping intervention during transplant of course that's future work but exactly yeah. Along these lines, um, can this knowledge that you found be used to, you know, design specific uh, supportive care interventions for the for these patients? I think so, and I and I hope so. I mean, we know that we we know and hypothesize that integrated palliative care is a, a great way to do this. And I think one unfortunate thing is that there just aren't enough palliative care physicians to see everybody getting hospitalized for transplant. At least when you think about a large scalable intervention, and so we're thinking about ways to devise particular interventions and you know you might imagine in the future in a similar way that we target different things molecularly when we're treating diseases when we're thinking about supportive care there may just be different bins of people to say you really need physical symptom management or you really need coping assessment or you know you really actually need your emotional support from your family or you know whatever it is and sort of identifying what is the exact supportive care need and how can we meet that exactly um, so do you have any other additional advice for clinicians um, to help support their patients who are, you know, preparing for, uh, for transplant and how they can kind of, you know, support them th- while, they're, while they're coping with this? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that, this is more anecdotal, but also I think in, 
in the work that Dr. El Jouari has done previously is when patients know what to expect, I think it makes coping with things much easier. And, and I think the features about transplantation and the hospitalization that patients benefit from knowing is just that they will probably ha they will have these symptoms, they will feel psychologically not in the greatest place during their hospitalization, and that, that it's temporary, right? That like things do get better and kind of having that knowledge of what to expect and the reassurance that feeling bad does not mean that the thing is going poorly. And I think that, that that's a huge, a huge takeaway from our work. Um, and then I think the other takeaway is just that, and what we hope to show in future work is that in our psychosocial assessments pre-transplant, we're hoping to argue for systematic assessments of coping because we think that that's such an important thing. And I'm not sure that's done universally um, currently. And, uh, and if we can do that, then that would be a way to identify people who might just need a little bit of extra support. It definitely speaks to the importance of education and, you know, it's preparing patients so that they know what to expect and uh, involving them in those decisions. Yeah. And I think the other thing just to note is that this is a one-time point thing, right? So, like, the hospitalization is just the beginning of the journey. And, um, but I think it is a formative one. We know that people's experiences during the hospitalization show up later in people's transplant courses as potentially trauma symptoms and things like that. And so the more we can do to improve that experience, I think, you know, it, it does matter long term. Absolutely. Great. Um, anything else you'd like to mention about your either the poster or your research in this area? No, I just, just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to speak and to, to, to be interviewed on this. Uh, and we think obviously the work's really important and uh, improving the experience of our uh, really sick and vulnerable patients. So thanks for the opportunity to share. Absolutely, and I'm glad um, you were able to speak with you and you know, help raise awareness and you know, um, you know, just prioritize the importance of, uh, of you know, helping patients cope during, during transplantation. So thank you again for coming by. Great, thank you.